Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. The lineup tonight, Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Chris Verone, and Steve Grasso. Tonight on Fast, it is the semis fall from grace. The group getting hit hard today, and check out these names all down nearly 50% from their 52-week highs. We'll tell you what that means for the market. Plus, biotech getting slammed today, but a top analyst says more deals are coming. He will give us his four takeout targets. But first, we start off with high hopes. While the market is stalling, quietly a number of mega cap stocks are going up, up, and away. In the past week, Starbucks, MasterCard, Procter & Gamble, Nike, and Boeing all hitting all-time highs. So do these high-flying stocks have more room to run, or are they about to lose steam? Good time for a game. perfect time. Perfect time. Right out of the game. Good time for a game. Yeah. Trade it or fade Let's it. Let's do it. Trade it or fade it. All right, all Tim, right. we start off with you. Pressure's on you. Starbucks, just to hit a new high today. Trade it or fade it. Uh, trade it. I know how to play this game. I'm going to come right out and tell you. Um, uh, the problem here, the valuation is, is one that I think is fair. I think in the environment also, uh, labor costs hurt Starbucks as much as anybody. But U.S. comps have suddenly turned a corner. Um, company also has been very focused on some cost cutting and actually margins in the U.S., especially they've actually been closing stores. Uh, I, I think the China story with China is kind of the wild card, and that's the place where actually so far they are one of the success stories. They're one of the brands that actually has not really run into whether it's been trade war sentiment or just the reality of the Chinese consumer is actually buying their Frappuccino. Stay there. Stay in Starbucks, yeah. I think. Except that there's a viable competitor in China. Lukin is a coffee shop there. They've got plenty right. of outlets. And if China, Chinese people want to boycott an American brand, they've yeah. got an alternative. I, I mean, I get it. I, I get that, that the, the growth story for Starbucks is China, but I think you, you make a very good point in that we're in an environment where boycotting American products in China is not an unreasonable type of thing you need to be worried about. So I, for me, I'm a faded here. Not that I dislike Starbucks. I think it's okay. But I'm a faded. I still think the market's very vulnerable to lower prices. So why would I want to be buying Starbucks at the highs? I'm with Tim here. Uh, the stock was dead money for three years. It broke out late last year, consolidating in the high 60s. Oh, I think it's a good group. It. Yeah, he said trade it. Yeah. It's a leader. Yeah. I think we've got to be long here. Oh, yeah, wow. That was scary for a minute. Because yeah. he's got that? a dummy manning the machine back home. <laughs> nice <laughs> job, Chris. Nice job. Brilliant. Yeah. you got to stay long here. 70 is temporary. I think 75 or 80 is where you're going here. All right, so I, I am a trader as well, but I do believe that the you made a face. I, I did. It's not a personal attack. Well, it felt personal. All right, well, well then it kidding. is. But, but I do <laughs> believe that China is the question money. mark. And if, if there's the China, the growth engine that we're looking for, for Starbucks, if there's hiccups along the way, if there's competition, then it could be a faded instance. Right now, it is all traded. Oh, maybe this is a precursor of what you're about to say about Nike, Grosso. Trade so or fade it? I, I am a faded there. It's up you know, basically 13% or so, uh, 15% year to date. I'd go Under Armour. I think Nike kind of sucked the, the uh, yeah, see what I did there? Would you rather in a trader or fade it? Yeah. Totally broke it's the rules. I apologize for that. But I, I think that Nokia, a uh, night, no, I almost said Nokia there. That's a good one, though. Is yeah. that even traded anymore? Take a deep breath, Steve. Girl. Come on. All right, let's do this all over again. <laughs> Nike, fade it. So uh, I, I just think it's running out of gas here. Under Armour has actually outperformed year to date, but I think it still can continue to outperform Nike. 
faded. So to me, Nike is an absolute trade. This is a company that also has turned their business around. Remember, it was a year ago, it was a year and a half ago, we were actually talking about innovation. I know when sneakers um, has become actually an issue if you're a Duke basketball player. Huh. But the bottom line here is this is a company that is crushing it in China. They actually are seeing North America where uh, the basketball shoes really have, have caught fire again. And that was a place where people were very concerned. Um, I like Nike. I think it's uh, by far the class of the kind of the athletic wear. Uh, Under Armour, I mean, to me, I, I, I hear you, Steve, in terms of if you want to buy a, a bombed out story. Mm-hmm. But again, that's the story. I, I, I really, uh, valuation. But you bring sense. up China again, and, and I hate to you know, rag on China here, but to me, the story in Nike, it's priced in, that China growth, right? It's vulnerable to some kind of a hiccup. We get any type of hiccup in trade. We get any type of uh, hiccup in the Chinese economy. And Nike's going to be the one that's vulnerable because the Chinese story is Nike. In my view, we always look at what are future sales in Nike's when the earnings come out. That's what you're worried about but, here. I think it's so vulnerable. It stock where it was vulnerable during the, the, the thick of the trade war. Right. And here on the other side, it's still vulnerable because of the it's Chinese. Ho- it's story. vulnerable. No, it's, it's, like vulnerable it's vulnerable because ways. we can get a hiccup in the trade war. Right now we're pricing in, but everything's going to go great with this trade deal. Tim, we're right? two for One two One little here. hiccup. Yeah. You've got a problem with Nike. You know what? Chris, could you speak for me right Tim, now, please? We are, we are two for two here. Thank you. Listen. Nike, anything related to China is acting well. Look at Macau Gaming. <laughs> look at Chinese financials. Look at Yum China. That's what worries me. Anything yeah. related to I mean, that China trade works. Are you saying what he's saying or what yeah. Tim say? He's saying that it's all priced in. Uh, Nike was dead money for three years. It just broke out. This is a name two weeks ago you have a big problem with the shoe. Stock makes new highs. I think when you look at this whole group, Nike, Adidas, Puma, they're all leadership names. Footwear broadly is a good group. Nike is a good way to play. Nike, Nike actually it. recovered on North America so he's, originally. by the way, yeah. saying trade it, right, Chris? Trade it. Trade he's it. new. Yeah. He's new to this. Uh, it's not, so he's, 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 he's really playing it great. He'd rather yeah, trade yeah. it. Trade, I wouldn't okay. change yeah. a thing, Chris. All right, go Thanks, ahead. <laughs> Grasso. I, I, I started. Yeah. So, no, I thought you were going to comment. No, it was it, North America. North America was the recovery in, in Nike. You know, China was the last gasp, that last motion up. And I agree with BK that you have to, something's got to be in it. So are we in the ninth inning or are we in the eighth inning? That's, that's the only, only price you get on Nike. It's got to hold these levels. 86 is the hold level. All right. Chris here is next. MasterCard, trade it or fade it? We're going to trade it. Uh, this entire group is good. Look at MasterCard. January 31st, huge upside move on big volume. The stock's being accumulated. Look at its peers, Visa, new high, PayPal, new high. This is a leadership group. 215 is great support on MA. You get any type of pullback, I think you want to be there. Taking a step back, look at the big picture. 23 of the last 27 months, this stock is up. We love good trends. We love momentum. We like leadership. MasterCard's still it for us. Fade it. I mean, I hate to be the wet blanket here, but I mean, again, the bear suit's back on. Got, well, it is. It is for the, the bear suit is right. back on for the time being. I think the market in general is extremely vulnerable to shocks. Vulnerable to shocks in trade. Vulnerable to shocks in the economy. Look at the city economic index. It's at negative levels. The market hasn't priced in a weaker economy. Add to that, on top of of Mastercard, we've had record consumer um, credit growth in this case. So how much more can it grow? I just think everything's priced in. Doesn't mean I hate Mastercard. I'm looking for a pause that refreshes. You faded every single stock so far. Uh, looks like I did. Yeah, I'm three right. for three. Just want to get that clear. clear. Yep. And you know what? And you know what I've done, Mel. I've traded every single stock so far. So mm-hmm. why not go again and follow my brother Chris and, <laughs> and tell you, look, Mastercard. I don't really love the valuation. Frankly, it's a difficult valuation relative to itself. If you look on a five-year 
It's trading about 20% expensive to itself. Uh, but revenue is growing over 20%. Uh, if you actually look at their top line, um, it's been, uh, you know, to me, a surprising second half story and something that I think is carrying into this year. I'm not worried about the consumer on this. In fact, if anything, it's the consumer in the last gasp of all this that's spending right now. MasterCard, I'm going to go trade it on this one. Transaction profit uh, margins are up 2%. This is a name that you sort of buy, and you look at the long-term chart on it. It's up, up, and away. It does do a couple of checkbacks to technical levels, and it's most recently has done that already. So I think you're somewhat out of the woods. Trade it. All right. Last but not least, BK. Procter & Gamble. I wonder what BK is going to say. What do we think? You know, momentum's your friend, so you go with faded on this one. Momentum <laughs> being me. So I'm going four for four faded, and here's why. I used to work on the old-timey trader whose whole game was all he did was buy stocks in the 80s and 90s, waiting, waiting for it to go to 100. He thought 100 was a big magnet. Guess what Procter & Gamble did? It went to 100 and pulled back. So in view of the, the fact that I think the market has continued to be vulnerable, at 100, I'm a seller of P&G. You take the other side, Grasso? Yeah, I do. I do. I would be a buyer. I'd be a traded on this one. I think that if rates aren't going to increase the way we think rates are, go- are, are we're going to increase, the yield on it is pretty attractive. I think it's a safety bet. I think if the market rolls here, this one goes sideways or outperforms on a relative basis, I would be a traded. I'm a faded. Uh, 100, big round number. I think BK has it here. Uh, this has risked down to 90. And I think the big story here is, discretionary is better than staples. Why do I want to own a stock at resistance in a group that's not working? It's a problem for us. Yeah, you know what? Guess what? I'm going to fade it as well. And after a 40% move in a stock also that, to me, um, has had some a little bit of activism in it, you've had a little dynamic here where people thought they are going to spin out a couple brands. I think there's a lot of news in the price that isn't necessarily fundamental of a business that's growing a top line. Again, look what's going on at food producers. Look at the entire space. I'm telling you, um, it's hard to see where the top line growth is really going to come here. In fact, this is a company uh, that largely has been traded higher because it's less bad. But the, but the I don't th- trade less bad, go- The one thing they have going for them. Bad is they're cutting costs on marketing and distribution and they're raising prices. So maybe this could be a not less bad story. Maybe this could be a little bit good. All right, you guys have been so good at playing this game. A, so oh, good. What do we get? You're going to get a bonus round. Oh, my Boeing is the bonus stock. The stock, of course, as you know, been going parabolic. So Tim, trade it or fade it. Uh, I have to trade this one. And, and really? to me, Boeing, mm. uh, first of all, the valuation is absolutely acceptable, especially on a free cash flow yield perspective and where these guys, again, about $17.5 billion in free cash flow in 2019. Um, I, I think their order book is something that's even somewhat impervious to trade wars, certainly cyclicality. I know this is we, we do this all the time, or I do. This is the non-cyclical cyclical stock because, in fact, their order book is so strong, and I don't think there's anywhere else to go. Um, it's they are Boeing, or, or Airbus, excuse me, so I stay with Boeing. Uh, this one, I, I would fade it. I mean, this is the poster child for China trade. So I, I think although it's been a spectacular performing stock, I think it's unwinding on an RSI relative strength index, unwinding overbought, still in the process of doing that. I would be a faded, even though I think it's a spectacular stock. Yeah, so I'm going to fade it. And I'll tell you why. Big it's, surprise. It's not because of the other ones, but in, in fact, this one is what you guys said. It's parabolic. I'm not a geometrist, but I'll play one on TV. The angle's too high. Yeah, that's, that's French <laughs> for the people that what do is, the angles. And what are we not. doing here? So no my idea. point is, my point is with Boeing, I agree with you actually, Tim, the visibility into their order book's fantastic. So you want to buy this when everything looks horrible. When we get a hiccup in China trade or something like that, that's when you want to buy Boeing, not today. Well, Chris here says there are three other names that are gearing up for a breakout. So let's go off the charts. And uh, Chris, why don't you head on over to the Yeah, and we're going to look at the S&P, and we're going to look at the S&P three ways. And I think what we need to remember here, when we look at the price action over the last, really, 12 weeks, 
We had 20% down in the fourth quarter. Down 20 over 12 weeks. Now we have uh, up 20 over eight weeks. So I think the big question is, you know, back to this key 2800 level, is this the real thing or is this not the real thing? There's two possible outcomes. Here's the bearish take. You put a top in early last year, you made a higher high, middle of last year, failing at a lower high. Big top formation. That's not our base case. I think the more likely outcome here is when we look at this formation that's taken shape on the S&P chart over the last couple months, there is just really good support in this 2650 range. And I think if you get a pause here, uh, or if you get a pullback, 2650, even 2700 is gonna show up as good support. And I think ultimately, that holds and it pushes us up to new highs. But ultimately, under the surface, we need the stocks to drive us there. What are the names that are gonna get us there? And I wanna give you three. The first we all know, Microsoft, very quietly, still very much a leader versus the S&P. So it outperformed in 4Q, outperforming in 1Q. That is a leadership name. We think ultimately it gets up uh, on its way to 120. The other was in a bear market last year. This is Facebook, down 45% in 2018. Stock was up today. You had a broad sell-off today, Facebook up. It's pushing up against new highs. This is showing up as a relative leader. I think this is another name that can push the index up as we move through the first quarter. And then here, I think, is the big test. I think ultimately, if this market's really going to work, we're going to need to get some of these banks uh, involved. I think Bank of America has to be our bellwether. BAC, right at 30, really big level. You get it above 30, I think the bull case for the S&P uh, becomes stronger. And what we really want to watch here is the relative strength of BAC versus the market improving. Starting to see a little improvement there with some of these banks. I think Bank of America, Facebook, uh, and Microsoft can get this S&P higher. All right, Chris, why don't you come back on over to the desk. I'll ask these guys if they're trading or fading your picks. So, uh, speakers, why don't we start off with you? Think you like something any, something happy you like anything I actually do, said. believe it really? or not. I like a lot of what Chris has said. I think, so... First of all, on the market in general, I think it's about probabilities and the probability that we go a little bit lower sideways from here based on the fact that you could have a bearish formation there. I think you need to take that into account as a trader. That being said, in a bearish environment, in a down tape, what was up today? The Facebook. And anything like that, anything that bucks the trend, any type, there's a type of a divergence, that's what BK likes. By the way, Chris wasn't being rude. He was just drawing with his middle finger, which um, <laughs> is, is just something you have to watch at home. Be careful. Um, so I, I think the call in the market is such that we're consolidating after what is really a historic V-shaped recovery. And in fact, uh, people, I think, are making a bigger deal about this. Like the reality is that the market is, is, is looking for signals on earnings. And uh, that does not imply what I think most people believe and have this fear of a some type of a retest. So um, how do we get to the next level? Agree that we're going to need it from mega cap tech. Um, I think if you look at the names that might be best positioned to do that, I actually think it would be Apple um, because I think Apple is, is, is an earnings announcement away from changing the tide on something that really has been a headwind for the S&P. It's the biggest weighted stock. Um, and I think Apple's How does the chart look on Apple? You know, the bearish case on Apple is so well known. Right now, if you look, the, Apple has the fewest number of buy recommendations from sell-side analysts at any point in the last 15 yep. years. Mm -hmm. The street is negative on Apple. It, another name that quietly outperformed today. That's a stock that's getting better. It rallies back to the 200. Another name, obviously given the weight, that's very important. You get that working. It's hard to fight the tape. 
I, I think Microsoft is running into resistance just to take it on a granular level. I think Bank America, you look at a 210 spread, has actually turned and is more na- narrowing now. You need that to be bullish. You need that to widen, to be bullish for the banks. And I think the overall market probably comes here a, a, a touch lower than where Chris said. So I think all of these are sells because the overall market probably comes in from here about 5 to 7%. Well, you know, we mentioned rates here, and I think what's notable is you've had awful economic data over the last few weeks. They can't push rates back below 265. There seems to be a little different tone out of the bond market. Twos and 30s have actually steepened here pretty meaningfully. Yeah. Twos and 30s are uh, nine-month highs, so there's a change there with the curve. I think that's bullish for stocks like Bank of America. All right, coming up, one stock not breaking out, General Electric. It sank again today after GE bear Stephen Tusa says his $6 price target is generous. The traders tell you how low they think this stock can go. Plus, biotech under pressure, but a top analyst for the group says a flurry of deals coming in the space. He'll tell you the names to watch. And later, what is wrong with the semis? The stocks have been on a tear this year, but they are getting crushed this week. We've got all the details. We're live from Times Square, New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for a buzzkill. Shares of Micron getting slammed today after two bearish analyst notes. Susquehanna warning chip prices are plunging and Micron's profits will suffer. Meantime, Cleveland Research jumped on the bandwagon, cut its revenue estimate for the stock. The move now has Micron down more than 40 percent from its 52-week highs, joining other big chip uh, names like Big Chip. Get it? Big chip names. Um, Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, NVIDIA, Applied Materials, Advanced Micro that have all fallen from grace despite the semis outperforming the market this year. So can the semi-stocks recover for real? What do you think, BK? I don't think so here. And and these reports actually are quite timely. Remember, the semis are the ones that are going to lead most of the market. They led the downturn in the market. I think they're probably leading here. If you take a look at semis and just overlay them versus PMI or ISM or whatever uh, indicator, cyclical indicator you want to look at, you they tend to trade together, right? And we had a bad PMI, not a bad PMI report, but a PMI report that was lower than expected. So you, I don't think the semis have priced in a slowing economy, just like I don't think the market has priced in a slowing economy. I think we need to put this in in some context. A lot of these stocks were down 50% last year. And now they've rallied 50% off the lows. They can take a pause here. I, I, sure. I think the level here, 1300 on the socks, is the make or break line. And I agree with you. This has been a very present indicator in terms of uh, gauging turns in the market. But a 40% rally off the lows, you can come in 6, 7, 8%. Look at Intel. It's up 30, it's down 2, modest decline. Look at Taiwan Semi, down modestly. 
uh, ADI down modestly. These are contained pullbacks. Micron's the exception here, but these are contained pullbacks. I think you I buy I think them. they're all, even the, even just to be clear, and in the, in the broader market, I think it's a contained pullback. I just think it's after a 40% run-up in Micron, after a 12% run-up in the stock, it's, the risk-reward is not as good as it was. I, I, so I, I you agree. wait for a bit. And I think that we, you know, you make this a lot easier than, it, it, we should make it a lot easier than it is. The DRAM, if you chart DRAM, that's Micron. It's, it's the Micron GPS for the stock. DRAM prices are forecast to come in the most since 2011. You don't want to be buying DRAM related, which is Micron. You don't want to be buying semiconductor stocks. Yeah, so those trends uh, aren't going to get better. I agree with that. But but the the and I am going to throw a little agreeing with Chris because if you look at where we got on semis, they outperformed the S and P by almost 13 percent in in the the two essentially the the three weeks um, from the new year leading into essentially where they started to pull back recently. Um, they've only outperformed the S and P uh, by a couple percent over the last couple of days. A lot of that SMH or SOX or whatever you want to look at truly is the measure of the cyclicality. And frankly, um, I think this is just a, state, a case of expectations being re- recalibrated. Spending on CapEx, spending on, on enterprise, spending on some of the, uh, the things that are actually feeding then where a lot of the chip, is, the chip technology is then being input. I, I don't think it stopped on a dime. And I, I actually just think you've gotten some technical levels here that are tough to get through. I mean, I think a big question is, and you mentioned DRAM prices. DRAM is a commodity aspect mm-hmm. of the chip industry, but there are plenty of others that are not... At, as exposed right. to DRAM prices That's right. Right. that may be more exposed to some of the more value-add components, data center, et cetera. Is there a differentiation within the chip sector amongst these, or do they mostly trade as a cohort? Well, I, I think clearly when you look at some of the more defensive names in the group, like an Intel, mm-hmm. that's held up remarkably here. But you know, we talk about semis as if they're the only cyclical bellwether out there. I mean, look at the Chinese internet stocks. They've acted fantastic over the last couple of days. So there's a different message coming from a different part of the world that pushes well, they're back. They're sending you that message because we're getting close to a deal. No one wants to sell in the face of a China trade deal, especially China-related but internet names it, as well. It, I could take something from what Chris said. and just You know, you, you had his sentiment read on what was going to be yeah. the most affected. And, and frankly, Alibaba is not a trade war stock, but was treated as such. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's rallied 45% in 45 sessions. Um, I think you have a case here, if you go back to Micron, where, look, Micron's issues are Micron's issues. And you can look at it on a trailing basis. It's like a, an absurdly cheap company. Um, guess what? For Micron, it's never really mattered. You know, three and a half times on a trailing 12, month um, does not give you a reason to go out and buy the stock today. But looking at the cyclicality, just see what's going on with the airlines recently. They're telling you things aren't as strong as as they've been. So if I look at transports rolling over, I look at semis rolling over, that's a concern. All right. For more on Micron and why one analyst thinks it's a screaming buy, you can head on over to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. Here's what else is coming up on Fast. GE is doing the electric slide. And one top analyst says his $6 price target is generous. But we'll tell you why the charts might be telling a different story. Plus... How did he do that? How did he do that? Well, we're not quite sure. But the man who called the last big biotech deal says there are four stocks that could be a home run for investors. He'll tell us what they are. There's much more Fast Money right after this. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? 
Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. We do talk to all shareholders, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, they're important to us, and, and Wellingtonese as well. We disagree with them. Uh, I believe this is the best deal for us. We have looked at uh, the acquisition of Celgin, and we are acquiring a number of promising uh, molecules in the pipeline. As I said, we will be launching uh, potentially five in the next two years, but there is more than 20 in phase one and phase two clinical trials. This is the best deal for Bristol-Myers Squibb. That was a sneak peek of the Bristol-Myers Squibb CEO defending its $74 billion Celgene merger. He will appear in Mad Money tonight. You can catch the full interview right here on CNBC at the top of the hour. Celgene hanging tough today as the rest of the biotech space takes a beating, the XBI having its worst day since late December. This comes as M&A in the healthcare space has been heating up. Biogen announcing Monday it would buy gene therapy company Nightstar for more than $800 million, a deal our next guest predicted last week. I think the ones that are most fully integrated and, and probably most amenable with the, the whole host of manufacturing and technology in the pipeline probably are the Biomarins, the Bluebirds, um, even Sarepta, SRPT, and then some of the smaller ones that uh, probably will never be a standalone if they get the drug approved include Nightstar, NITE, and even Axivan Gene Therapies, AXGT. So what other deals could be coming down the pipe? Let's bring in Michael Yee, Managing Director and Equities Analyst here with Jeffries. Michael, great to have you here on Great set. to be here, guys. Thanks. It was like you had a crystal ball. <laughs> <laughs> so we want you to look into it once again and tell us who's on your radar in terms of being acquired and who's on your radar in terms of acquiring. Sure. Uh, in the uh, space to be acquired, uh, I'll reiterate, I think that Sarepta, SRPT, and Sage uh, got a big phase three depression drug. Both of those companies would fit right into pharma very well. Uh, and in the uh, uh, mid-cap space, Insight and Seattle Genetics, two other big cancer companies I think could be acquired. All right. In terms of the Celgene and, and Bristol-Myers Squibb yep. deal, does that go through? We are, we are firmly on the page. We think that deal goes through. There's about a 20% spread. I think a lot of that's going to uh, close after April 12th on the shareholder vote. I think there's a big move on Celgene to the upside. What's, what's with biotech recently in terms of its underperformance, yeah. and how much is the resignation of Scott Gottlieb from the FDA, how much is, is that a concern here, an overhang? Yeah, look, I think a lot of the uh, government rhetoric, a lot of political rhetoric that's going out there, a lot of concerns about drug pricing has been a problem for the large biotech stocks. I think you look at the Gileads, the Andrins, they've done nothing literally for 12 months. It's been tough out there. Uh, Scott Gottlieb resigning has not been a, a good uh, 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 sign for Smidcap Biotech. Most drug approvals in history in biotech last year under Scott Gottlieb. Mm. Uh, most FDA guidance documents, he's been a big proponent of gene therapy companies. 
two of which just got bought. Mm. With him stepping down, I think there's a little bit of worry, but I uh, hope to get someone back in there pretty quick. So, Michael, not everyone has a crystal ball the way you've exhibited having one. And even, even savvy investors can't pick yep. the binary outcomes that you see yep. on a day-to-day basis. Are you better off just buying the IBB or the XBI where you get those large caps in the IBB yep. and you get the playoff of them? You give up some of that percentage, yep. but you're still not hurt. Look, I think the average investor should be looking at the IBB and the XBI, particularly the XBI, which is more levered to the small and mid-cap companies, which have been the ones that are getting acquired. You get a lot more levered play off the XBI. XBI is 15, 20% off the highs of last fall. I think we retest that back over the next six months. I think there'll be more M&A. I think the XBI moves higher. So speaking of the IBB, so yeah. the, the top components of that are some of the names you've mentioned, yeah. some of these massive companies that have done nothing. People have been waiting for Gilead, uh, again, to, after their CAR-T yeah. acquisition. Yeah. W- what's, in the, what's in the pipeline or what's in the crystal ball for some of those mega cap yeah. uh, biotechs yeah. that, that need to do something yeah. because of their pipeline? Uh, two. One, obviously, is Vertex. We like Vertex a lot. They have one of the biggest drugs in all of biopharmaceuticals. Drugs should get approved. The triple cystic fibrosis drug should get approved next year. Revenue is going from $2 billion to $7 billion. I think Vertex goes higher. It's the biggest growth story in biotech. And obviously, the other one is Biogen. They have the most promising Alzheimer's drug in phase three. Data reads out early 2020. If that's positive, sector is going to be on fire. Mike, a lot of these stocks are still down meaningfully from the Hillary tweet in yeah. summer of 2015. Yeah. How big of a risk is the climate in D.C. right now yeah. to some of those names? Well, I, ironically, I think that while that's been a political overhang, I think that's been a big problem for the uh, large biotech ones where people, you know, is in focus or getting pulled up to Capitol Hill to talk about things. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a tough one. I think what we're going to see is more rhetoric, particularly as you go into the 2020 election. I think that's a problem for the large ones to a degree unless... Alzheimer's works. Uh, and that's why we stay focused on some of those small mid-cap ones that are getting acquired. A lot of innovation uh, and the takeout thesis is there. In as much, though, as large-cap biotechs might, or large-cap pharma companies yeah. like a Bristol-Myers yeah. might be the acquirers, and I know you don't cover them, yeah. could that dampen M&A activity or make it more difficult to get these deals through? That's a good question. Obviously, with Bristol doing the Celgene deal, I don't think both Celgene or Bristol is going to be doing play. any deals right. soon. Um, but look, there's a whole host of companies, whether that's Amgen's got to do a deal. Gilead's got a new CEO, just came in right. uh, last week from Roche. He's going to come in and probably do some deals at Gilead. you still got a whole host of companies, Novartis, out there. just Plenty of companies still out there. I think the numbers are we just did $15, $20 billion of M&A, excluding Celgene, just in the last four months. Still a lot to go. Plenty of cash. Michael, great to see you. Thank Thank you. you Michael Yee of Jefferies. Would you rather chart edition, (laughs) IBB or XBI, Chris? XBI, uh, there's good support near 82, 83. They took the... Uh, chart down from 90 to 86, uh, maybe a little bit more to go, but I'm a buyer here. Yeah, I mean, it depends on what your risk tolerance is, because obviously the IBB leans towards those mega cap right. companies. So if you want a little more security, you're going to get a lot less swings from an IBB. So if you, if you don't have the risk tolerance, go IBB. If you're looking for that beta, go with the XBI. But has been discussed. I mean, today's trading was so poor that these guys both traded through the 200-day. And if you, you know, if, if you're of concern, I don't think tomorrow's the day you go and you buy these things um, based upon the breakdown technically. Yeah, I, I actually thought XBI was the one to do. I thought we'd have a breakout. Based on today's trading, it looks like it's a false breakout. So I have to wait a bit and see how this is going to shake out. I don't think you need to go running into them right now. You asked a question about the tweet and the political uh, <laughs> wins. How concerned are we as traders? Yeah. Should a trader be when it comes to some of these stocks? Bipartisan. This is the, the, the only problem I have with this one is when you say Medicare for all, it's not a bipartisan 
issue. It's not going to be pushed. But you can get an equal amount, of, an equal amount of Republicans as you can for, as as Democrats to push again. Who who would would be a, a proponent of high drug pricing? And, and, Nobody on Capitol Hill. And Stephen, I think Michael, when he says you don't want to own the ones whose CEOs are in front of Congress, that's telling. When you look down the cap scale, I think he mentioned Insight. Insight's a great chart. Stock, they took it from 150 to 60. It's been basing for 12 months. It's getting better. I think that's a good small cap one here. Still ahead, GE shares crashing after the CEO painted a grim picture about the company's turnaround. And the street's top GE analyst says there is no floor in sight. We'll tell you how low it could go. Plus, can Disney beat Netflix at its own game? One top analyst calling the Mouse House a clear winner in the streaming wars. We've got all the details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of General Electric getting zapped, falling 8% at the lows of today's session after J.P. Morgan's Stephen Tusa saying in a note uh, that he has a $6 price target on the stock and that that target was generous. Um, there's no floor in sight, he says. Ouch. <laughs> but our in-house technician here says the charts are telling a different story for the stock. Chris is over at the Plasma to break it down. Chris, what are you looking at? Yeah, you know, I think this is probably worth a shot on the long side here, given some of the weakness that we've seen recently. But first, let's talk about what's wrong with this picture. And I'm going to do it for you in three numbers, 533. That's how many consecutive days GE has spent below its 200-day moving average. Every single time we've tested the 200, we have failed. So what about this move? over the last few weeks do we think it's going to be different what about this move says we should step in uh, and buy the stock a couple things number one we had a big gap on january 31st uh we're filling the gap here right back to the 50 day eight dollars and ninety cents very good support 50 day now upward sloping i suspect that's going to hold and i think the other big story here is when we look at the volume profile uh, of the stock and I think most importantly, the up days, the volume has been more pronounced. This is that January 31st move, big up day, strong volume. This is February 20th, big up day, strong volume. What do we notice about the last two weeks here? Stock comes in, volume also comes in. There hasn't been as much intensity on the downside. We think that's a message that this is a stock you actually want to buy into some weakness. 890, 895, I think is a good level. We'd step in here. All right. So, uh, Tim, you're hoping that Chris is right. Yeah. So this is one of those stocks. We've had a couple of these moments where you can, the old adage, you make the most money when things go from terrible to just bad. That's that's what happened with GE when it basically almost doubled in price. And I think this move down, which is 20 percent in, I don't know, five sessions uh, on some level could be an overreaction. Think we just got that 10K last week. And I thought some of that was actually relatively positive. They reiterated essentially the outflow uh, uh, from the long term care portfolio, which is something that is a drain on the company's balance sheet. It sounded like things are actually better or slightly better than, than had been thought. Uh, net to debt leverages, two and a half is still the target. Um, spinning off Baker Hughes and Wabtec. I mean, those things are happening faster than we thought. It's not a great story. But this may be a place where I think you can start to make some money again. Yeah, I did not want to buy it when they made that sale because you weren't, wasn't sure what's out there. But actually, I'm starting to warm up to a bit. I mean, GE broke my heart several times last year. I tried to buy it. But here's the thing. You've got the CEO who's basically kitchen sinking it, saying it's never going to get until better. Until next week. When well, until next meeting. week. But how much, how much worse can it get, right? We already know it, the top analyst is telling you there's no floor in sight. Everybody hates it. To BK, those are times that I start to get excited about a stock. Steven Tusa had an amazing call. He should just claim victory 
and, and, and stop right there. I, I, don't, I don't think he has anything to gain by saying it's a $6 price target or it's even going lower than $6. He won already. He's got, he's got to be somewhere, right? I mean, he's why he's got to be somewhere, to but I think you don't even have to say it. stock with the next dollar price target in the next 12 months. He doesn't I have mean, to say anything. He's, a, he's already something. left that $6 price target there. What would you do? What do you say? So I still own the stock. Okay. I think that fundamentally everyone knows it's so challenged. You want him to go away because he's saying there's no well, floor in no, stock. He can, he can, no, I, th- I think he's, he's pounding it so hard that it's very difficult to be right on both the down and the up or keep pressing it once it's popped. Well, we call, this, we call this taking a couple bites on the cherry. You can kind of see the metaphor. I mean, there's not a lot of room I'm not to sure who's calling it. it that, but I like it. Well, yeah. it's, it's a metaphor I, was, I use. Let's because put it that way. Because the cherry is a well, small stone fruit, and that's why? I thought it was stone an apple. Fruit, a, that, that's interesting. <laughs> Look, how many bites do you get on the cherry, folks? I'll leave it at that. The, the, the bottom line is this is a guy, and Steve's point is he's trying to catch it um, on both ways. Good for him for having been right on the direction of the stock, right on the dysfunction, right on the balance sheet, right on the earnings disaster. Um, but uh, I think at this point, uh, there's nothing reward. wrong with being out there and risk making a call. Risk reward at $9, and you're pressing it, and you're still saying that it's going below 6 The risk reward is if this stock turns into a $12 or $13 number, then he's going to look wrong, and he's not going to get the credit for the amazing call that he originally had. One last question to Chris here. Chris, what in the charts is, is a vulnerable aspect of your analysis, which could lead the stock to go to six? Or is that scenario, in your view, just completely off the table? Well, nothing's off the table uh, in this business. We know that. But I think the bear case is just so well documented here. But we need to respect the fact that the slope of the 200-day moving average is still down. So if there is going to be a way to play this, we have to stick to our line in the sand. I think that 890 level, as long as we hold it, we're inclined to play for some upside here. All right. Well, options traders, they're betting against the stock. Let's get out to Mike Ho in San Francisco for the options action. Mike. Certainly some of them are. I mean, obviously there's a lot going on in GE right now. And unsurprisingly, there's a lot of options trading. How much? 800,000 contracts today. To put things in perspective, that's more than Apple and Facebook combined. Uh, One of the areas that we saw a lot of activity was the puts. In fact, that comprised the five most active options were all puts. Some of that has to do with the fact that there's a lot of corporate actions in the stock. They're spinning things off. That creates stubs. So some options contracts need to account for those new deliverables, either in the form of cash or stub shares in the spinoff companies. But the area that I was looking at, the June 8 puts, I saw a block of 4,000 of those trading for 50 cents. Quite a lot of premium when you consider how far out of the money those were. That would represent a decline below 750 for those to be profitable. Presumably the options trader then is looking for the stock to move to the downside by at least 20% by June expiration. But I will point out, in defense of those people who think that there is some upside here, that there were big blocks of calls traded too. Dan's not on the desk today. He's one of the guys who suggested that if you're inclined to be long the stock, that's a better way to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, we were talking about sentiment when it came to Apple, Mike. But when you take a look at GE, actually, the bulk of Wall Street analysts have buy ratings on the stock at this point, And that's really changed when you compare it to, say, you know, the fall of, of last year. So the buy ratings have, have increased. Do you put much stock into that, this change in sentiment here? Well, I, I think, you know, we can look at the option sentiment. We can look at analyst sentiment. I mean, mm-hmm. analyst sentiment in general is usually fairly bullish. We've had a change in sentiment here from being very bearish to being, I think, more bullish. The options flow today, we saw about 30% more bearish bets than bullish ones. And all those 800,000 contracts that traded, you can think that you can either buy or sell a call. You can buy or sell a put. If you're buying a put, you're making a bearish bet. If you're selling a call, you're making a bearish bet. 
And obviously the opposite in both cases would also be true. The options market, though, does tend to be more contrarian and more bearish than mar the markets are overall. And that makes sense because options are a form of insurance and people who buy insurance are usually nervous. All right. Good point there. Mike, thank you. Mike Cohen, San Francisco. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Still ahead, the streaming wars heating up and a top analyst says there could be a surprising winner. We will explain. Plus, Crypto Jack, the Twitter CEO, is piling money into Bitcoin as he expects a major turnaround in the space. Is this the beginning of the Bitcoin bottom? The traders will weigh in when Fast Money returns. Oh. Uh, welcome back to Fast Money. There could be a new streaming giant in town about to eclipse Netflix, and it's Disney. That is according to J.P. Morgan, top analyst there, calling Disney's highly anticipated streaming service a game changer for the industry, predicting it could fetch as many 160 million subscribers, and that would be more subscribers than Netflix currently has. Disney is pulling all of their movies from Netflix in 2019, and with names like Star Wars and Marvel, among other properties. Could they win these streaming wars, Tim? Why not? I mean, it, it, it used to be about content, and, and it used to be that this was not a business that these guys uh, would, would spend the infrastructure to essentially get into that part of the business, the final mile, et cetera. But yes, look, I love Disney. It's the best, it's the best content in the world. Um, 160 million potential, great. Look, the U.S. market alone to me uh, is, is fantastic. The great thing about Disney, though, is you're not just buying a cable company. You're not just buying a studio. You're buying theme parks. You're buying consumer products. You're buying, and this gives them more direct to consumers. So uh, I'm long Disney. Uh, I like this news. It's not terribly cheap, but again, relative to itself, Disney actually trades, you know, at about a 10% discount. Disney could win, but it doesn't doesn't mean that Netflix has to lose. Sure. Yeah. So Disney could I, I think Disney could be a buy here, but it's in the trading range. Chris will speak to that. You buy it at 100, you sell it at 120 until it breaks out, you know, uh, set it and forget it there, but Netflix has a lot of its own original content. Yes, it's spending a, a boatload of money, and yes, it's tied to the overall market. But I think that no one would be a seller. I, I'm a Netflix sub subscriber. I'm, I'm, I'll probably just buy a, a, a Disney sub a subscription, too. But the way Tim talks about the story is reflected in the stock here as well. This was a name they tried to sell after earnings. February 6th, they couldn't keep it down. Boom, comes right back up. 50 day average breaking above the 200 day so the trend uh, here is improving as well i think you're going to challenge that 120 neighborhood and you break it above 120 that is a secular breakout for this stock we like it you know what i like it too believe it or not but i agree with what everybody's saying i would add in the fact that remember how horrible we thought espn was well now they've got esports mm. that's potentially another growth area so to tim's point they have multiple growth areas here at 114 I will take that bet that it breaks through 120 all day long and twice on I Sunday. I get what you're saying in terms of if Disney wins, it doesn't necessarily mean that Netflix loses, but somebody's got to lose, right? I mean, people don't have infinite budgets or infinite wallets for streaming services, do they? Well, someone has to lose on a relative value in a stock pair. I mean, if I'm looking at Disney versus Netflix and I'm saying I, Disney could, you know, again, uh, Netflix is already out there with those subs. Disney could get to 160 million, be in control, be in control of their margins. Um, why, do these, why does Disney trade at one fifth the multiple of Netflix? And, and I think something's, something's going to so give. So you think something's Disney's multiple give. should come up towards Netflix's because mm. Netflix's value where it is? I, I'm more inclined to say that Netflix valuation will be exposed for being absurd. But, you know, what do I know? <laughs> waiting a long time so far. Um, coming up, well, I mean, that's the case, right? Yep. Netflix. Um, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey going crazy for crypto, buying $10,000 worth of Bitcoin each week 
as he expects a price resurgence. Mm. Is this the beginning of the Dorsey bottom? We are live at the Nasdaq in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Jack Dorsey going all in on Bitcoin, revealing in a podcast interview that he's maxing out the $10,000 weekly spending limit on Bitcoin established for Square Cash, Square's Cash App. The Twitter and Square CEO also predicting a, quote, massive acceleration for the cryptocurrency. This as Bitcoin was up 11% in February, its first monthly gain since July. It's attempting to climb back to 4000 So Beaks. Could this be a turning point? I think it, I think we're pretty close. I think we're looking at the thaw here, right? It's the crypto thaw. We had the crypto winter. When you look under the hood of what's going on with crypto, we're actually seeing some improving fundamentals. And the one stat I will give you, if you look at the number of addresses that have been created on the Bitcoin network, that's up about 20% from the January lows. It's at highs at the levels that we saw in spring of 2018 when Bitcoin was well above 6,000. So fundamentally, you're starting to see improvement. You're also starting to see some institutional interest. Some high profile investors, endowments have been dipping their toe into the space. Add in that, you're thinking, talking about Fidelity coming out with custody this week. And Jack, you know, he's, he understands the payment network. And there's a part of the Bitcoin network called the Lightning Network that he has said it's only a matter of time, not if, but when that Lightning Network comes to the Square app, that Lightning Network allows you to transact very easily at stores. And that, again, could be another catalyst for and, it. And I'll add one more. The charts quietly start to get a little bit better here, too. And I think from a contrarian standpoint, the amount of lost interest on Bitcoin is interesting on the long side. You know, you made a low uh, in November, December. You made a higher low in January, February. If you can start to break this out above 4,000, you're talking about maybe 5,500. So I think there is some money to be made here. It's quietly active. Have you better. seen the inverse relationship between gold and Bitcoin? Because yeah, when you start telling. to look at it now, gold was ripping. Bitcoin was, was off a cliff. And it, 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 you need the paddles, the life paddles on Bitcoin. And now when you start to see it rear its head in a good way for BK, and when you start to see it rise above, gold seems to be turning a corner to the downside. Mm. BK, is JPM coin good or bad for Bitcoin's price? Uh, for the price, it's indifferent. I mean, it, it's a great signal because you have Jamie Dimon, icon of banking, who did not like Bitcoin, is now dipping his toe in. Now, they are completely two different products, but general public will not know that. So signaling effect, fantastic. It's not going to displace Bitcoin whatsoever. for Ripple? Excerpt, uh, excuse me. You know, I mean, I don't think so. Not quite yet, because J.P. Morgan, J.P. Morgan Corner, whatever it is, is going to be just used within J.P. Morgan Ripples, right. used within every bank. All right. Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade, Tim. We did a trade it or fade it earlier on Starbucks. I'm going to trade it again. I think this company grown five to seven percent top line. U.S. is in order. Starbucks. The one thing we didn't talk a lot about was oil. Traded really well today, in my view, even with some negative news. XOP, that's the way to play it. Chris Verone. We talked about it on the charts. It's Facebook. It's long. Got up through 170. Big deal. It goes higher. Steve Russo. Had a conference call with the CFO of Zynga today. Risk reward, Zynga. All right. That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. 
like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.